and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up all on its own. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I'm your other host, Liam. And Liam, this week, our sort of tagline, catchphrase, intro, whatever it is that we do, has maybe never been... Do we have those? Yeah, I just said it. That intro that we do has maybe never been more true, ever, than the movie that we're talking about this week. Because Uh I feel like we're talking about a forgotten installment in a forgotten franchise that none of us had ever heard of. And I'm speaking (laughs) for our listeners, too. I'm not just speaking for us. Do you think it's a fair assessment? It is fair. I didn't uh, do a close enough reading of our catchphrase to think that the franchise is forgotten, too. But if you go that far, this is certainly probably the closest we're going to get. Yeah. Well, I don't think it always includes that. But I think this is like it's such a forgotten installment in a franchise that people also forgot the franchise. Yeah. This killed Poison Ivy. This killed Poison Ivy. And that we're not talking about the Batman villain. We're talking about Poison Ivy 2 Lily which is a movie from 1996 that went direct to video, which is our bread and butter. I'm surprised we don't do more of those. Um, It was directed by Anne Gourceau, who is a French director who did Embrace of the Vampire, um, written by Chloe King. I misplaced the cinematographer's name. I don't know how I did that. Suki Mendensevich. Wow. Hard to say. I'm really, you'd think I'd get better at that over time, and I don't. Um, edited by Terry Lynn A. Shropshire, and music by Joseph Stanley Williams, who was in the band Toto after the song Africa had already been made. Mm, was he there for that one that goes, hold the line, boom, 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 I can... love isn't always on time. Oh, is that Toto? It's gotta be Toto. I mean, but now we we don't even know if it is. Um... I don't think it is. I think it is. Why would I have thought of it if it isn't? Okay, well, it is. Okay, good for you. I, I'm sorry I doubted you. Who performed on this one? Let's find out. Drum roll, please. Brrr. Who sang on it? Give me who sang on it. Wikipedia, please. Oh, this dude became the singer of Toto? Yeah. Oh, shit. Um, well, it wasn't our boy. Mm. Was, wasn't him. So he was in the band Toto when people didn't care about Toto anymore, I guess. Oh, man. This guy this guy was Poison Ivy 2 Lily to Toto. Yeah, because it was like late 80s Toto. And I feel like their heyday was kind of early 80s Toto. <laughs> Fuck, man. Um, they made another Toto member? New podcast. Yeah, we're going to start doing um, like an inside the actor's studio style show where we talk about people <laughs> who... <laughs> got forgotten about that also were involved in making movies nobody remembers um (laughs) and speaking of movies nobody talks about or remembers or we weren't familiar with uh the original poison ivy (laughs) how the fuck did we find that you may be wondering um well it's directed by i'm gonna dare i say friend of the show cat shay who made the rage carry (laughs) 2, a movie that's really good and people should watch um and poison ivy one got big at Sundance in 1992 pretty much on word of mouth and kind of being controversial for how uh, sexual it was Um, the Wikipedia page describes it as an attempt at making a teenage fatal attraction Um, and it stars Drew Barrymore Sarah Gilbert Tom Skerritt and Cheryl Ladd Um, so those are some big names Um, and we didn't know anything about this movie at all did we 
This first one, no, I mean. No, so we, we totally stumbled into this movie. So while we can draw the connection of our girl, Kat Shia, doing The Rage Carry 2, one of the best movies of all time, we stumbled <laughs> upon true. Poison Ivy 2 because Corey said to me at one point, hey, Kat Shia did like a, a weird horror movie sequel. And I, having just read her Wikipedia page like a few days prior, said, oh, yeah. And I was thinking of Poison Ivy... Um, I was thinking of, yeah, the Poison Ivy franchise. Corey was thinking of the Strip to Kill franchise, which she wrote and direct both the original movie and the sequel. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking of Poison Ivy, which she only did the original of. And somehow that led to us doing Poison Ivy 2 on this podcast because uh, I think my hope, dude, was just that Poison Ivy, from looking at the poster, looked like a cool movie. And I wanted to kind of just... Uh, just cut, try to press our luck and see if we could come up with a gem and just really throw our our hat in the ring and Some, see what happens. You know, sometimes you just kind of have to throw caution to the wind. That's something that this movie insists upon in several moments. Uh, and I actually had some quotes in front of me here where, um, for example, at one point, Donald says, you can't afford to be afraid at your stage of the game. And for us, that means like 45 episodes in. At this point, we just kind of kind of take some swings. And also at one point, uh, Lily wonders, how do you know what you can do until you do it? And we weren't going to know if Poison mm. Ivy 2 was good until we watched the movie. That's good, man. You're, you're making me feel a lot better about this because I feel like in the early days, maybe first five, ten episodes, we we're being a bit more precious about, about what we picked. But now we're 45 episodes in. We don't have any signs of stopping. We, we have such a massive list and we're just thinking we're eventually going to get to them all because we have a long life ahead of us. So what's, what's a week with Poison Ivy 2 instead of all the other surefire hits that we're really eager to get to. We really took a gamble here, Corey, and um, I'm proud of the uh, the effort and what it stands for at the very least. Yeah, and then, you know, maybe, unfortunately, and we can get into this in a little bit, maybe also according to Poison Ivy 2, Lily, we were, quote, seeking for pleasure in all the wrong places, but, you know, we'll get into that after because we've been talking a lot about uh, I've just used the word pleasure like a hundred times. The poster features um, like a like a one third clothed Alyssa Milano, who uh, is standing next to a torn apart picture of a family that says "Passion, Seduction, Betrayal." Lily wanted to be just like Ivy. Um, and in case you were wondering what all that means, we're in erotic thriller territory, <laughs> which um, again. Again, which I was about to say is new for us, but somehow it's not um, because cat people thanks, Mitch. Yeah, thanks. fits into that category. Hey, I also like cat people, all right? Oh, I <laughs> well, know you do. We're going to die on the cat people hill in this goddamn podcast, and you're going to be happy about it. I hope that means you die on the Poison Ivy 2 hill, Corey. I Make mean, this all worth it. We'll have to see. But um, I want to give a quick couple examples from the 80s and 90s of erotic thrillers that I have seen that maybe Liam has seen some, he can give some examples just to sort of weird, weird flex, but okay. Just to sort of acquaint people with the genre and give a sense of our familiarity with it. It isn't a flex. No. Don't and make then it rate, weird. Rate how hot each one is on a scale of one to 10. The ones you've seen. <laughs> We're going to be here too long. If I do that, because it's going to be, I'm going to have a lot of mental calculus going on, but if we want to talk about another Paul Schrader erotic thriller, 
We can talk about American Gigolo, which is a movie that I like a lot, which is a pretty quintessential example of this. There's also movies like Bad Timing, which um, stars a, stars Art Garfunkel. Um, That's a good name for an erotic thriller. Yeah, it's really good, actually. Um, it was on I saw it on Criterion Channel. It's directed by Nick Rogue, who we talked about last week. Um, Harvey Keitel shows up. You know, it's whatever. Um, Al Pacino and Cruisin. We got Body Heat, Cat People, like we talked about stuff like um fatal attraction and like basic instinct and even like a lot of people talk about gone girl is a great more recent example of what an erotic thriller can look like i'm just sort of scrolling through the list at this point trying to see if there's any big examples i'm missing here i don't know there's one here called the heart of justice night rhythms oh gosh hit me i've got one i don't think you're gonna find it on any list but uh 1982's double exposure was pretty erotic if you remember that one. <laughs> um yeah i guess that counts huh that, that that's a movie you guys can find deep on amazon prime Corey and i watched it one night in the uh in the early days of this podcast back when the podcast was just sort of an idea we stumbled upon it thinking that we might do a podcast based on the deep dives of amazon prime and uh yeah, it's it's erotic, that's for sure. Um, and I'm also thrilling. learning, dude, the Wikipedia page says it is somewhat of a remake of the 1974 film The Photographer. Um, so do we revisit Double Exposure? I think we Only have time to. Will tell. I think we have to now. Sometime deep in the future, we may revisit Double Exposure. Um, another good movie that has the word double in it and is an erotic thriller, Body Double, Brian De Palma. Okay, um, Liam... How familiar yeah. were you with this as a genre? <laughs> like, where were you at with this? Oh, man, it's tough. Um, I haven't seen many of those movies you've mentioned, and that's because I'm not super well-versed in 80s, 90s movies, uh, especially if they're not, like, straight-ahead horror movies. Um, and then, in my recollection, every erotic thriller movie I've seen, every movie that's labeled as such on Wikipedia, I don't think of it in my head as an erotic thriller movie. Like I can't I can't really even think of any specific examples, but I know I've seen a movie that I would call a thriller or just a horror movie and then I've gone on Wikipedia and it's been listed as erotic and it doesn't really feel that way to me because I guess nudity and sex is so often used in horror movies anyway so unless it's really uh delicate and sensual and slow as it is in this movie and i would say in cat people that other one that we visited then um i don't i don't quite notice it um knock knock from 2015 eli roth is is supposedly an erotic thriller but again i think of it as just more of a a home invasion thriller movie that happens to have a sex scene in it but that's a movie i love um but you know i guess in general when i was uh in my uh nudity watching phase in my life i, I wasn't watching Careful, the, uh, the sensual erotic stuff you know yeah not the I, stuff you would see on lifetime yeah well and i guess these movies are defined as such because the the like the sexuality and eroticism are inherent to like the thrust of the story rather than like the window dressing that you might get in a horror movie. But at the same time, that's assuming a lot of horror movies aren't relying on that for thematic reasons, which they are. So wherever you draw the line, I guess it's kind of hard to say 
like what stops a movie from being an erotic thriller or makes it one. I know that in the 80s, at least, um, a lot of them are also kind of like neo-noir or like reimaginings of like classic noir, but they made it like sexy. Um, Mm. And I think I get what you're saying where part of an erotic thriller being effective is finding it erotic. (laughs) And at the very least, um, I'm not convinced that that's what we've got on our hands here. Um, and maybe, dude, maybe like we and everyone else, because it seems like these movies were really prevalent in the 80s, maybe we're just past the erotic thriller genre because like the internet has blown up and you don't need to find your eroticism like baked into an actual narrative movie anymore. Yeah, but I don't want to dismiss people who don't want that kind of movie still regardless because I feel like it's probably doing interesting things with the the sexuality and eroticism inherent to that. And I don't want to dismiss like a whole kind of movie as being like, well, now you can get porn anywhere. Right. Um, because like it's still telling a story in like a meaningful way or at least attempting to. And that's like an integral part of it. But at the same time, I don't claim to be an expert on this kind of movie. I remember reading a piece from... God, it might have been Travis Woods who was talking about, like, why the uh, that was the heyday of the erotic thriller, that, like, period in time and how it fit fit into the, like, sociocultural and, like, political moment and why, like, the erotic thriller made sense for a while and then maybe went away. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd like to know that. That's, that's Yeah, uh... I don't... I would recommend people seeking that out. Um, if I find it, I can include it in the show notes just so we can all kind of be on the same page. But... Yeah, it, they definitely feel like a bit of a relic, um, or at least that now um, there is a sense that, you know, that can be present in a movie and you wouldn't maybe think to um, it being immediately considered an erotic thriller. At the same time, I also don't know, like, this movie is arguably both erotic and thrilling in genre title only. <laughs> Um, and that might be a specific example that we're going to have to work through here, but, um, yeah, I, I think we're, we're kind of in the deep end here, you know? Yeah, this is, you know, uh, dude, when, when we started with the horror thing and, and the different genres of horror there, we were kind of introducing you to subgenres that you weren't very familiar with and I could walk you through it. Or when we watch, um, movies like cat people or um color of money with mitch these sort of higher class movies that you're more familiar with than than you're there guiding me along but this might be one of the first times where we're both sort of out of our elements yeah yeah um really quick i just found an erotic thriller from 1993 that stars jamie lee curtis but it's called mother's boys and i hate that oh i haven't heard of that one i hate that the most i've ever hated anything in my life Uh, (laughs) but you know you know what, here I'm looking at uh, just a mass list of erotic thrillers here on Wikipedia, and there's yeah. definitely some of these I've seen. Like, mm. I've seen The Handmaiden from a few years ago. Um, uh, that's, that's a wicked movie. I want to see that, that really bad still. And, uh, and as, I, as I recall, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess it is an erotic thriller, but again, like, it just... Um, 
maybe i'm just doing I, I think i'm just doing what people do to the horror genre where it's just like uh okay if it if it has blood and it's gross and stuff then like it's a disgusting horror movie but then if it actually has class it's a it's an elevated horror you know yeah. maybe i'm just maybe i'm doing that because it's like okay i'm thinking of the handmaiden um but that's actually a really well told story that happens to have sex so that can't be an erotic thriller you yeah. know what i mean and, well, I'm, and I'm not like, trying to do that yeah maybe it's just a good example of an erotic thriller like maybe that's just what it is that kind of like yeah. thing that you have to try to figure out um because yeah. especially like with horror that's such a problem because i feel like especially now there's a certain brand of horror too that gets like the elevated tag and i think it's just kind of coming from people who don't normally like horror movies and want to feel better about themselves for liking something that's supposed to be a horror movie. Um, so they're like, oh no, this is elevated, man. This one's different. It's like kind of slow, I guess, and like got other things in it than just like gore. And it's like, fuck off. Like, right. it's, it's yeah, totally. as much a horror movie as anything else is a horror movie. Um, so I think maybe we're in the same territory here. Uh, wow, there is one called The Tales of the Kama Sutra, The Perfumed Garden. Man, these titles are wild, dude. These titles are wild. Tales of the Kama Sutra 2, Monsoon. Good news, Liam. Oh, man. Get ready, everybody. <laughs> you guys remember they made that one? Me uh, either. Yeah, no. We're, this is, we've become an erotic thriller podcast. That's all it took. Wait, there's Basic Instinct 2. That counts. Hey, that's look a, at that. That's that a movie people have heard of that counts. <laughs> That really does count, yeah. It's uh, it's tough, this erotic thriller thing, man, because I know that... Uh, I guess I'm wondering why why erotic eroticism is so often paired with thrilling aspects that it needs to be its own subgenre. Is it just like the the juxtaposition and like of eroticism and death that's just like tantalizing and cool? Because there are plenty of... I guess there are plenty of movies that have eroticism in them that aren't thrillers that i still don't think of as erotic x movies like um call me by your name or etu mama tambien like well, these movies that are just like they those... feel like drama movies to me that have fucking yeah <laughs> sorry uh, my sorry i wasn't expecting you to say call me by your name there because i don't think of that movie as erotic either at least not in, not in genre. I know it is, Liam. So trust, erotic. Trust There's me. this one part with a peach. Dude, I know you're doing this as a bit because you know I know that. <laughs> but we can't we can't do this right now. Um Gord yeah. is getting too eroticized. <laughs> Moving on. He's wiping his brow right now. I, dude, oh my god. <laughs> Again, I don't know that he's doing that. We're I still was. not in the same room, but I figure. <laughs> Like, right as you said that. <laughs> you were doing it? Yes! Oh, man, do I know my co-host? <laughs> okay. Um. Anyway, uh, I guess with movies like that, I kind of default to it being more of like, oh, man, more of like a romance kind of thing. Because I feel like with Call Me By Your Name, at least, that's more about, like, Elio figuring things out and the sort of the realization that Elio and Oliver have where it's like, oh, we are on the same page or this is something that's valid and we can explore this. And there is like an erotic element to that. There's sex in the movie. Like, but I don't think of it as like, this is like some kind of erotic drama, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it's, it's just weird that we don't, you know, like if, 
if like, the word yeah. erotic was substituted with romance, I really wouldn't bat an eye at any of these movies. But because we're using erotic, then that makes me think that like there is there is pleasure to be gained just out of like of the sexy time of it as yeah, well. Yeah, well, I think I think um, it's because sexuality is being mobilized in a particular way in these movies um that are considered quote-unquote erotic thrillers in a way that like it's not in other movies in this case with like poison ivy 2 um it's not just integral to like character arcs and the plot but also like visually and the act of doing something sexual stands in for other things like it's symbolic in a way (laughs) Whereas, and it's being mobilized in a way that the symbolism is the point, but also the act is the point, if that makes sense. I don't know if it does. Um, I'm trying to work through what the differentiation is here. Um, I think it's something about the way, like, the sexuality is used. But, yeah, I'm struggling to put my finger on what really sets it apart. Other it than is, just, it, like, being tough, being hot you know yeah sometimes that's yeah. just yeah um and i guess that like, doesn't I, bring us any closer to understanding poison ivy 2 either because i've read the really plot but i'm summary I'm, I'm to the first i've read it. the plot summary to the first movie and uh they're they're extremely similar but also notably different in a weird right, way well, hey give it to me did you read this before it's weird to say give it to me on a conversation oh about, yeah like, erotic bud. <laughs> this is this is our erotic podcast this is episode. our not safe for work episode yeah um did you read the plot summary or the premise of um poison ivy before watching the sequel or afterward after Okay, so I, I didn't know anything about the first one going in either. So now that we've both seen it, why don't you tell me what Poison Ivy is about? Because I still don't the, the first one? know. Yeah, like what's the what's the synopsis? So we got Sylvie Cooper, who is a young girl at a private school for the wealthy per YouTube. And she sees like a, like a cool, edgy, street smart, according to Wikipedia, poor and trashy girl who is Ivy. And um, the short version is Ivy sort of increasingly gets involved in uh sylvie's family life and basically just starts coming on to her dad real hard and it tries to cut in to her family and like her mom sylvie's mom is like unwell and it's her adoptive parents and she's trying to like box the mom out and ends up kind of like she drugs the mom at one point ends up trying to like kill the mom and ivy isn't suspected and ivy is like trying to assert herself into this like family and also i'm i guess there's some fucking involved at some point (laughs) i don't really know um but it's about how that sort of like youthful sexuality is being like weaponized by ivy to try to assert herself into this like family dynamic Um, i get that i i can see that being a movie i understand and she dies at the end because the studio said that there needed to be consequences but the director our girl cat shay didn't want to do that initially um Mm. and i feel like it's important to consider that the initial hope there was um the imagining of ivy as a tragic character who just wants to be loved rather than a villain yeah that sounds that sounds pretty good to me man that sounds like more uh i mean it sounds like other movies i've seen in an exciting way i'm kind of a sucker for movies where um 
some kind of lonely character tries to uh, push themselves into someone else's life by like um, assuming their like char- their traits or um, uh, getting close to the people that they're close to. You know, you see it in a lot of like typical lifetime like stalker movies. Um, but that that sounds that sounds cool. I get how that's a movie. This one. I read the the synopsis and like a couple plot tidbits after watching the movie, like the IMDb summary and I think the letterboxed summary. And all I could think to myself was, man, if we had just done like a, a, a 10 seconds of research on this movie, uh, I don't know if I would have wanted to do it. I'll tell you that. Uh, Poison Ivy 2? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Also, I want to make a correction. Um there does not appear to be any fucking in the first Poison Ivy movie. I know I said that dismissively as a joke, but apparently I'm also wrong. Wow. So, um, Is it an erotic thriller? I mean, there's eroticism in it, I guess, but there's no... I can't see the line that says, and then two people have sex. There's a line here that says Ivy, who is played by Drew Barrymore, <laughs> um, yeah. sits on the bed next to Georgie and begins to massage Daryl with her foot while he kisses her legs. Which, like erotic not sex yeah oh wait hang on daryl picks up ivy and they go into the forest where she gets him drunk and has sex with him (laughs) update (laughs) (laughs) so uh that's where that movie's at um and then we get into this one and i feel like it's kind of fulfilling a similar thing i don't know where drew barrymore was at with her career in the early 90s but i feel like the maybe seeing her in this kind of movie would have been jarring to some people. Um, in in the uh, original Poison Ivy? Yeah. I think at that point in her personal life, she had been in like a lot of tabloids and stuff from partying and mm. uh, not being the kid from E.T. anymore. And so it's it's very possible that this was, this was, that people already saw her as an adult and it wasn't as much of a, of a drastic shift right well i mentioned that only because in poison ivy 2 our lead lily is played by um is played by Alyssa milano and it points out on the wikipedia specifically that this was a um, active attempt to uh break her child star image because um and she had done several what this is now describing as soft erotic films and i don't know what the fuck that's supposed to mean uh, worked with this director on a film two years before this called embrace of the vampire um and that is described as a chaste girl who is haunted by a vampire <laughs> in one mm. line so that's pretty cool probably um and i think in terms of plot with poison ivy 2 we're in a similar situation um where lily is according to the wikipedia a sheltered art student from michigan attending art school in california and she gets in with this like very stereotypical like art student crowd and um sort of is trying to navigate this like really profound shift in her life she's away from home she's experiencing all these things for the first time she finds a box full of um stuff belonging to someone named ivy i have no idea if it's the same ivy or if ivy is like a is like a concept or what i have no idea that's um, how the that's how the pitch meeting went for this movie no 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 ivy is a concept you guys <laughs> don't get it so there's like nude self-portraiture art in a diary and 
this diary, these diary entries sort of illustrate um, this sort of gradual development of like both um, like a sexual self-awareness and a self-confidence that is powered by like being cool, edgy and hot. And Alyssa Milano is like, I'm going to try that out. And she sort of falls in with um, their life drawing class professor, whose name is Donald. And he's creepy and manipulative and sucks. And he... Yeah, right from the beginning, man. Yeah, just completely transparent. And so she's got a roommate sculptor boyfriend on again, off again thing named Graydon, which is just a fucking hell of a name. I thought it was Brayden for most of the movie. Yes, it's it not. Me, it took half me probably like two thirds of the movie to figure out what his name actually was. I thought it was Grady for a lot of yeah, it. Yeah, and um, so she sort of falls in with this prof. He's kind of he's pushy in the way that he's using like highfalutin intellectual but very basic ideas about art and like art is like to be a real artist you have to use art to like face your fears and like you could help me face fears together and what that means is you should get in this chair and take your clothes off and i'll paint you so it's like wow dude you're not even trying to hide it but um so she is sort of navigating this developing image and self-confidence and sexuality creepy manipulative prof and good guy roommate Graydon, who um is the only person in the movie other than her that asks for consent at any point so at least we checked that box eventually but it took like half the movie um and something about this just feels it feels like the movie's working in a very like obvious kind of way and it occasionally has interesting like cinematic ideas but it's very much like how do you think this story is going to go in the context of an erotic thriller which implies an elevated sense of violence as well that's exactly how it goes you know what i mean i do i know exactly what you mean yeah um so yeah i don't even i don't know uh oh um i haven't done my due diligence uh the movie stars Alyssa milano uh jonathan shach xander berkeley belinda bauer camilla bell Catherine Dora Brown, Walter Kim, and Victoria Haas, um, just to make sure that we're given credit where it's due. And um, I, this, this, this didn't really leave a huge impression. <laughs> it sure didn't, Corey. I'm with you, man. Um, there's a couple interesting uh, visual ideas. There's a point where she's sort of making that decision as to whether or not she's going to commit to this change and she sees a vision of her previous self who's like yo take me with you dude and she like confronts her, previous her past self, self. Like slightly slightly longer hair yeah and self. also she had cut her hair like that day yeah um, like it's not like a previous self like it's like before she went to uni she's like in high school or even like yeah. middle school it's like now like no, she just says it's just it's like her from earlier it's Alyssa in the milano from two weeks ago and the thing that's <laughs> fucked up is also this whole movie takes place over the course of like a month maybe two months yeah and it feels like it because you're wondering how these things possibly could have moved this fast um it's also got that university movie problem of people are in classes but not that often and it's not clear what their schedules are or if they're actually students or what 
Yeah, this girl has one class. And to it's go to. it's life drawing with with uh, with rapey prof, and um, eventually there's a confrontation where the his wife gets suspicious because he started painting again and he had never done that for several years, and she assumes that it's got something to do with some kind of relationship transgression. Um, it sounds like something that's happened before. Um, Lily also ends up being the babysitter to Daphna, who was their kid, and Daphna is a name I want to point out, um, as being a choice, kind of like Graydon was. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff we could go over here, right? Like, we could go beat for beat, beginning to end, here's how this movie develops, but I'm wondering why we would do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, uh... (laughs) Having watched the movie beat for beat the other night, I'm wondering why I did that. You know, there's not a whole lot. It's there. exactly it's, it's a what pretty, you it's think a pretty, it is. Yeah, it's very slight. This movie. Yeah, and it's like there's some sort of interesting stuff where it's like there are moments where it feels like she's genuinely kind of becoming empowered and coming into her own and sort of recognizing her ability to be confident in herself and maybe she's doing that in a toxic way because her whole image is like i want to be cool and tough and like sexy to people and at the same time she never even really commits fully to that image because she just kind of gets in with Graydon and and like um cello roommate gets involved because he's wearing a mask at one point and then there's creepy prof and that's kind of the whole deal um i mean it develops exactly how you think it would. Um, the prof seems endearing and trying to be helpful to the new kid at first, um, which we know is a crock of shit. Cause the first scene of the movie is him like dismissing a student that he doesn't find hot anymore. And then that student stops taking the class and Lily literally sits where that student sat, which is next to Graydon, the guy that she now happens to also live with. Thank God. Um, yeah, dude, oh, man, <laughs> it's, it's, a. Uh, it really does just feel more it feels like a vehicle to break Alyssa Milano's uh like established character I really do think that like in the term in the terms of erotic thriller this is kind of it has to be like as stock as it gets it has to be just using the erotic and the thrilling elements to uh to break down this actress's identity because um the fact that they like the director did a previous um, erotic movie like this that Alyssa Milano was in, right? Yeah. The Embrace with the Vampire. That makes me think that like, okay, from there they got the idea that they can really go hard. They can latch on to this franchise that Drew Barrymore did the same thing with. Because I did look it up, Corey, and Poison Ivy was the start of her, her sort of years later. So. Poison Ivy was that for Drew Barrymore, and this really comes across as just trying to be that for Alyssa Milano. Maybe it wasn't even planned from the beginning to go direct to video. I, I can't really tell, but uh, see, I, it's just that's the same thing where I was like, I feel like Alyssa Milano was too famous to do something that wasn't going to theaters. But would people want to go to theaters to see this that weren't like horny teenage boys? And I feel like the yeah. answer is probably no. Yeah, it's like it's like they did it thinking that it would be huge and then they they had what they had and it's like okay, maybe we we can't put this into theaters. Maybe if they had waited a couple years after like Cruel Intentions came out with uh Sarah Michelle Geller and the um 
erotic teen thriller was like a bit more pronounced also nev campbell was in a movie called wild things that was yeah. uh that made some money so so that makes me think maybe they were just a bit ahead of the curve but well, also i feel not, like this is not for teenagers though i don't it's think it's not yeah so I, this isn't I, I don't think this is that i think it's trying to be an honest to god proper erotic thriller for adults and it just kind of isn't or not that it's not but it's so paint by numbers that like i don't know how you could really get interested in it yeah but i think this this could very well appeal to teenagers as well because like it's her first mm -hmm. year at university she's barely out of there um the fascination is all about like being in a new place away from your family uh dealing with older cool like artier people it's very I think it's very immature in the way it's it's dealing with these things. I don't think it's a it's not a basic instinct. No. <laughs> yeah. Um and it it just feels very stock. Like there are interesting things in it. Sometimes there'll be an interesting like a scene will be lit in a fun way because it's leaning into that kind of noiry kind of also very like artistic and like highfalutin kind of thing. Um but it's it's so for a movie about art, it's shockingly paint by numbers. I'll put it that way. Yeah, and oh. I, I realized that from uh, the very first scene featuring Lily. So this is right after we get a, a bit of a cold open with the professor ditching uh, his Catherine. old student, ditching Catherine. Um, <laughs> and the way he says the name, it's like so pronounced. It's like, you guys got to remember this name, you know? Yeah, uh, I don't know why Catherine they wanted me to remember important. that, but I did. Yeah, I did too, man. And it's almost it, it almost was so it was so emphatic that I was wondering if Catherine was someone from the first Poison Ivy because <laughs> it's just like so prominent. But no, it's it's just there so that you lock on to this dude being shitty once you learned that uh, she was a previous student. So once you get to uh, Lily and she's arriving at the university. Um, you get some music that's just like really of the time. It's just like sort of punky, sort of poppy. One did you, might did even you say. notice that most of the songs had lyrics that were relevant to what was happening in the scene? Yes, I did. It's so yeah. funny. Yeah. Um, and so you get her first day of university uh, and she's just walking across the campus and that's it. Like it's just it's just basic shots of her walking across the campus. It's it's not a movie where like every shot needs to mean something or every shot at least needs to like look cool in order to get people hooked at the beginning of this movie. It just feels like it's killing time because the movie knows that it has to get her to the university we need to know that this movie's about a girl in a university and the movie also knows that it needs to be like an hour and a half long so we have to spend a few of these minutes just showing her walk across the university right from the beginning i'm just thinking oh man this filler. really this is just filler in your first couple minutes it's filler and i feel like the movie also knows that it's like we need to get we know our audience we need to get Alyssa milano's clothes off as fast as humanly possible yeah yeah like and it it's just like okay um i guess that's why we're here but like i don't know man some of it just kind of feels a bit forced um i'm thinking especially of the lamest halloween party full of what people that are supposed to be cool of all time where they go into a moodily lit bathroom that's got like jack-o'-lanterns and fake spider webs in it 
and they have like an awkward sex scene up against some like frosted glass and it's just like this scene had to be in the movie but did it have to look like this dude i guess i didn't expect us to disagree at all on this episode but i'm I'm gonna drop a slight disagree with you here i thought it was so sick that at this halloween party the bathroom was decorated i've never really thought about that before i've I've been to a bunch of halloween parties no one ever decorates the the bathroom that's like your safe place that was so cool hey man they were they were banging in a decorated bathroom i didn't say that the decorations themselves in the bathroom were bad I think if you want to have a cool, moody sex scene, don't fill the bathroom with fake cobwebs. I mean, they certainly had a lot of moody sex scenes without cobwebs, and I don't think those worked either. So I thought this was the most interesting they worked sex more scene of than them all. That. Oh man, no, I, I disagree. I guess we, uh, Corey and I, are learning. We have different. We have different yums. I don't want to yuck any yums, <laughs> and I'm not trying to say that like the presence of fake spider web is immediately bad but if we want to put on a sliding scale what were the best and worst sex scenes in the movie i think that one is maybe like just a it's like it's probably close to the top but only because the rest are very plain in terms of like we're in like a well one of those inside of a, an abstract sculpture i guess that's kind of exciting but like yeah a lot of them are just kind of in rooms and it's like, okay. And then by the yeah. end, it gets like very like forceful and abusive. And it's like, oh, well, I guess we've got to the thriller part of the movie. But this guy's yeah. just kind of going off the deep end here. Um, speaking of the thriller part of the movie, uh, were you expecting a child to get hit by a car and dramatically throw a stuffed animal up in the air in this movie? Because I laughed and I laughed <laughs> and I laughed and I laughed Dude. so hard. <laughs> oh my gosh. When did that happen? You didn't see it? Uh, Daphne right. watches her dad assault Lily. She runs out of the house. Yeah, yeah. okay, Everyone... stop, stop, stop right there, Corey. Stop. So this is, I was going to start off my uh, my introductory thoughts with this, but we kind of, after the talk of erotic thriller, we kind of just segued into talking about the movie. So I've got to say here that um, I rented this movie on YouTube. I paid money for it, and I Same. even considered I even considered buying it because they were like having a sale or something, and it was only five bucks more. Um, I didn't end up doing that. I just rented it, and for whatever reason, at a minute, or sorry, an hour thirty, ten minutes away from the ending, my sound cut out, and then the feed cut out, and I refreshed the page. I tried to skip back to where I was. The movie said that it was like three hours long. It wouldn't skip. I tried to skip to a previous part in the movie and then go forward. It wouldn't let me do that. I restarted my computer, refreshed everything, technical, uh, every, all that aside. It took a long time. I haven't seen the last 10 minutes of this movie. Oh I need to... <laughs> my God. And it's honestly, I feel it's through no fault of my own. I tried really hard to finish this movie and I'm even thinking about like, emailing youtube and being like yo poison ivy 2 lily i paid sweet dollar for this movie and i am so invested and i need to know what happens and i feel cheated but that would be a lie i mean um, <laughs> I, I can't i can't really think of the last time and you know what i guess it would, it would be a movie on this podcast the last time i saw a movie and i'm 10 minutes from the end and if it were to cut out i 
I would need to know what happens, right? That's what happens yeah. when you watch a movie. So, it's like I've invested I've invested 90% of my time into this movie. I need to see the end. And in this case, it, it just didn't happen. Like I went to bed, I tried again today, it still didn't work and I was kind of okay with that. Like it's not lingering in my head. I need to see the last 10 minutes of this movie and that doesn't happen <laughs> often. It only happens with like the Flintstones big fat Greek wedding. To be wedding. fair, Flintstones, I literally didn't watch the end of that movie. That's I just right. clicked and through that, it. <laughs> and that made me feel a bit better, knowing that Corey has done this willingly. I was like, you know what? Corey can fill me in on the last 10 minutes. That's what I, I was going to ask. I think my mind is made up, but now I feel like I've really missed out. She gets hit by a car. Does she die? That's sick. See, no, they set up that she was... that. It, she looks like she's gonna die and then at the end of the movie Graydon just says she's gonna be fine which I feel like is glossing over the fact that she's definitely traumatized from that time her dad sexually assaulted and raped somebody and then she got hit by a car so maybe fine is not the operative word oh, to use yeah dude they um, need to do poison so, ivy 3 so did, Daphna. You, did you miss the pov shot the like the like slasher movie shot yes okay so um Daphna runs out because creepy art dad tries to rape lily and yeah, then so that's exactly after, where i stopped i didn't get to see her be free so and you had her up against the wall she so they get out and then daphna runs away and then gets hit by the car and then Graydon and the mom and the dad are there and lily runs home and then she gets really upset and like tears all the art off her walls and has a bit of a breakdown and uh sees cello guy for a second and um has goes to have a shower gets out of the shower and in between that we've seen like stalking through the house pov shots and they for a split second i thought they were implying it was the guy who plays cello uh yeah because could it be? because yeah. it wasn't clear how it would be the dad like how the dad would have got away from the inevitable police that are about to show up um and not had to talk about the fact that his kid just got hit by a car but so she is out of the shower getting dressed and art dad shows up and tries to assault her again then Graydon also comes um. back and they fight art dad like pushes Graydon through a window they end up on like the roof of the building um art dad ends up slipping grabs onto her ankle Graydon gets him off of her he falls to his death off the roof of their house um Graydon and Lily talk for a sec. Lily needs some space. Then at the end of the movie, Graydon is working on his sculpture and Lily goes out and apologizes and takes like full blame. And that felt fucking gross because not like her having to go through a formative experience and her being fucking assaulted is not her fault. And they set it up where she's like, I was going through a lot. It was a really tough transition. I was trying some stuff out. I was trying to do whatever. Uh, I want to apologize for this and that. And then they just say that they love each other and they start kissing inside the sculpture. And she's in this like white dress, this big fucking purity angle. And it's just like, why is this all her fault? How is this not the fault of manipulative rapist art professor? <laughs> Yeah, like, are you what? fucking kidding me? Like, maybe she was confusing Graydon a little bit, but I don't know why she's taking responsibility for the entire set of fucking circumstances. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me. That that sounds like it would come from a movie uh, like the first one where Poison Ivy 
or like the embodiment thereof is the antagonist. But in this movie, Lily is so obviously not. And so it doesn't make sense to me that that, yeah. that last scene isn't uh, as celebratory. And they as don't, and they be. don't paint the parts of her sexual awakening that were her own choice in a positive light, even though that seems like the whole point of the movie. Um, yeah, wow. I mean, cause obviously a lot of it isn't insofar as like, he's a manipulative piece of shit, but like Graydon isn't. And she was, maybe making irresponsible choices but they were still her own and like i don't know it it's not good <laughs> it's not it's not a good ending you you did the only thing you missed is i think i would have loved to hear your thoughts having seen daphne get hit by a car because there's yes. that slow motion <laughs> shot where a stuffed animal flies in the air and spins and oh, it's really amazing. got it all but um, oh, that's pet cemetery vibes i gotta say that's the that's the only thing you've said to me that uh is a surprise you know this movie is so predictable um even her apologizing for that sort of thing is like not that surprising because this it does is not a very thoughtful movie and but it's so weird for it to have a very conservative take at the end in terms of like sexuality that feels bizarre um the only other thing that was surprising me was i was looking at the cast list for this movie daphne have you ever heard of the movie Ten Thousand bc Yes, yeah, it's from like 2008 or ago, something. Years ago, yeah, yeah, and there's like that big saber tooth thing, and it had a lot of CG going on, and it was like Neolithic people and shit. Yeah, the actress who plays Daphne is the female lead in that movie. Oh, hey, good for her. Yeah, so you know the glow up. Um, <laughs> didn't have to be in Poison Ivy two anymore. But yeah, no, the the ending's underwhelming, and so is the rest of it. <laughs> I don't know. Yes, no, I don't know what else dude, to say. There was really no part of this movie that whelmed me. So all I was into <laughs> was um, <laughs> all I was into was the anticipation in the first fifteen minutes of seeing a movie that I don't know anything about. That's just the best feeling when you when you start a movie and you're ready to go. You want to watch a movie and you just you don't know you're what the movie blind. is going to contain. Yeah, like that's how I love to go into movies at the theater. So when I watch movies, I try to go in as blind as possible. I try to not watch trailers. You know, it's just the best feeling to start a movie and not be sure where it's going to go. And so I was really reveling in that in the beginning of this movie because when we saw like the Rage Carrie 2, which I'm now realizing should have been called like Carrie 2 Rachel. I think that would have been really cool. Um, <laughs> when we When we watched that movie... Um, I hadn't seen the movie and I didn't know that much about it, but I knew the original Carrie. And so I figured, okay, even though this isn't Carrie, this is Rachel, which is cool and new. I figure at some it's point... It's all this, the rage. Yeah, at some point she's going to rage and take revenge on people that have been mean to her. And um, so with this one, not knowing about Poison Ivy 1, I had no idea what this was going to be. I didn't know it was going to be a, if a slasher movie, a supernatural movie. I didn't know where the drama was going to be at all. And so when I saw her arriving at university, um, I was like, okay, sick. This is a school movie. I love those. I'm like thinking about my first days at university. This is really cool. I like the mid-90s music. I liked the house that they show up at where like the mm-hmm. paint is peeling off the walls and it's kind of like it's like big and um uh and I have fratty. no idea how they afford it. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's all these characters living in the house that can kind of just mingle about and so I think okay, we got a, like a cool ensemble crew of uh 
of people here. And then it turns out that she's going to be a babysitter. And I was like, sick. I love movies, typically horror movies, where like someone is a babysitter because that means you have to go somewhere that you're unfamiliar with and you're supposed to be in a position of power, but you're also so vulnerable because you're in someone else's house and you're supposed to be uh, doing a job, but really you're not all that prepared because you're not trained to be a babysitter you're just a you're just a person who is responsible anyway i got so excited for a few of these things right at the beginning and then none of them come to fruition um and it just ends up plodding its way throughout the whole thing and it doesn't take advantage of all the things it's set up so then i can't even say that i liked the beginning of the movie because it's undercut by uh, the lack of like opportunity that was seized in the rest of the movie and so all i have to do is think about okay the opening of this movie was her walking across campus in the most plain way possible so it's not even like it was shot in a cool way or it set up all these cool ideas at the beginning it's just my imagination hooked onto some things at the beginning that excited me but then it turned out uh the movie didn't go anywhere at all you know reading the plot summary on IMDb just shows you that like this movie doesn't really have a whole lot to it. Um, there's not, there's like no cards being played at all. It goes exactly the way you would think it would. Yeah. Um, I just want to say that I also liked, um, the music, uh, it's got a lot of, um, sort of new age and environmental music pan flute going on, which is extremely my shit. Um, so some of the music I could definitely get down with the other music that's just like lyrics describing what emotion she would be feeling in the scene is like corny as shit, but like, yeah, I don't know. It's a total non-starter. It's like, um, I don't feel like I've gained anything. I don't really feel like I've lost anything. Cause there's certainly worse ways you can spend an hour and 40 minutes. Um, just kind of a flat thing. Yeah. And- dude, this is like. It's like a gamble. We went to the casino, spent a few hours there. We didn't lose any money, we but we even. certainly didn't gain any money. And it's just, all right, I guess that's what I did with my night. What it kind of feels like is um, we went to a casino and we were up really early. And that was like our enthusiasm for it. And then we lost a lot of it, went into debt trying to get it back. And then right at the end, um, broke even and then just went home. Uh, not really sure how to feel about the experience that we've had. Yeah, and that whole time, we're like, we're not even playing like a game that we like, you know, it's not like poker or blackjack. It's just like slots or the big wheel. I don't know, I don't roulette? gamble. That wheel thingy. Roulette. Yeah, the roulette wheel, where it's just, you just chill and you just like let it happen to you. Yeah. If, you know, you, don't, you don't even have fun at the end of the night. In case it's not obvious, Liam and I have hung out together in a casino once. So, and, and <laughs> I, I didn't play anything, so nor did i no um we just kind of walked around and lamented that casinos are depressing with some friends of ours yeah that was uh what it was what that me, was you th- hannah and greg and we were just making fun of like wow what this is the most depressing place on earth yeah that was my poison ivy 2 moment where i came of age and just realized that like the world is a scary place um yeah i don't know uh Go watch other different, better erotic thrillers. I don't know. Go watch American Gigolo. That's a good movie. Go watch Body Double. That's a good movie. Um, if you want to watch something that's not an erotic thriller, go watch Call Me By Your Name. That's a good movie. I guess go watch Not Knock Knock. Liam said that's good. 
Yeah, no, that's, it's good. Even that, even go watch Cat People, dude. That's the point yes, I'm at right go here. Go watch Cat People. Hell fucking right. yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, watch Cruel Intentions with Sarah Michelle Gellar. Um, that one has a Counting Crows song in it, so that makes it worthwhile. I think. Watch Body Heat because I haven't been able to yet, but I really want to, and I like the creative team involved, and it's kind of a remake of Double Indemnity. So like, have a good time with that, maybe. Uh. If anybody does that, let me know if I should finally watch it. Um, Go watch uh, Sorry to Bother You. Yeah. From a couple years ago. Fuck it. That movie's good. Who cares? I've been been meaning to see that movie. You guys watch that one for me. For me. (laughs) I own the poster for that movie. That's a that, that, cool. That was a quote from uh, the girl next door from two thousand four, which I've that also movie. heard. I've heard that described as like an erotic comedy as well. It doesn't. Don't, I don't know, man. I just I don't. Uh, there's some there's some talk of sex in that movie. That's for sure. Yeah, it's a good one. You could really go watch whatever you want. We're all at home. Go watch movies. Go watch movies that aren't this. And in yeah, between that, actually not on YouTube. Right. And in between that. Uh, listen to episodes of this podcast which i would like to thank all of you for doing once again you've listened to another episode of they made another one you can find us all over the internet on twitter at they made another all one word on letterboxd at tmao you can find episodes on anchor spotify apple and google podcasts stitcher breaker and everything else as they made another one you can rate us you can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and either a made-up version of the last 10 minutes of this movie to send to Liam or what your favorite erotic thriller is, whichever... Also, also send that to me. I'd like to know. Yeah, please. And uh, if people want to do that, Liam, where can people find you? Oh, you guys can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd. Under my alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, my username is Graham the Mallow. And you can catch me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price, which um, is my alter ego because typically people just call me Corey Price. Um, And with that out of the way, go watch other movies. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you here next time for more. They made another one?